All right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Empathic Future La- Futures Labs podcast, uh, the show about human-focused futures for the environments that we live in. I'm Chris. And I'm Christian. And today uh, we're getting into, we're sort of once again piggybacking off of a couple of the previous episodes, uh, similarly to last week, though hopefully this week's conversation will be much more lively and a little more buttoned down from last week's where it was maybe a little bit more of a rambling conversation. So, all right, so basically the idea here is that we want to get into some of these notions that we touched upon, especially in the um, the, uh, the Future of Business podcast, as well as some of the De- Design Fictions podcast and talking about, so where do these, I guess, where do the boundaries lie and what are the opportunities of working at uh, working within multiple disciplines and thinking at uh, scales that promote working from within multiple disciplines. Um, you know, I, I think we're looking at uh, some of the firms like the really large firms like SOM or Perkins and Will or e- AECOM that have these sort of architecture and engineering uh, research and uh, research disciplines and how they interact together or uh, someone like 3XN or Karen Timberlake, where they have a little more of maybe uh, architectural research, looking at like the environment and looking at um, engineering related to climate change, or even looking at Gensler and how they sort of implement this sort of brand-centric or uh, brand strategy approach um, to supplement their architecture, as well as how we talked about WeWork and how WeWork is sort of breaking that mold and changing their integration of business strategy uh, away from sort of the building focus to more of like the experience focus. So instead of integrating uh, vertically towards engineering, they're kind of pulling back and taking control of the ownership and extending that to the architecture. Uh, So they're kind of going the opposite direction. But really what that all kind of led to was a few conversations um, we had. I think it kind of compounds in with uh, the design fictions a little bit with how we talked about uh, Jimenez Lai and, and his installations and and then brought that into like how does research sort of influence design fiction and really push that forward versus maybe the pure creativity of Jimenez Lai and then some of the conversations we had last week talked about where does our experience installation go and, and how do we how do we expand upon that I don't know if you have any yeah and I think I think we I agree that we're definitely building on a lot of the stuff that we talked about talked about previously and I think as you were talking there specifically um, even though it may not have been our greatest one of our greatest hits last week's episode uh, about experience which was more about the production of experience I think and and how you measure experience Um, this week I think last week we were kind of looking at the measure of experience but this week we're we're kind of getting into and how you produce experience and the different models that might be the most conducive uh, to letting that happen. And so I think one of the points that we wanted to, one of the big points that we wanted to drive home uh, with this talk today was to discuss the possibility or the idea of like an architectural installation or an, an uh, or a pavilion or something along those lines. There's a, there's a quote that I grabbed. Let me see if I can find it. It's some artist that that did an artwork onto uh, Frank did this patchwork kind of quilt thing applied to Frank Gehry's 
Foundation Prada in Paris, and and we'll link that. We'll link that project. But one of the things that he points out before we even really get into this is that he, he, he wants he wants his projects not to be called installations, because the way that he sees installations is that it means that it can be anywhere. Um, but he is really focused on the idea of place, and he wants his stuff, his work, to be called works in situ meaning that it can't be removed from where it is. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Interesting take on the installation is that on one end, I think that we use installation as this as this tool, like we very much do, uh, that we can remove some, some of the unnecessary or it'll, parameters or functions of architecture, not necessarily unnecessary, but you can remove some of the function of architecture uh, in order to favor something in a more pure way than you normally would be able to otherwise. I think some installations are approached that way, and I think some aren't. But then this this idea that it has to be, that an installation is something that doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a place versus the idea of a work that's tied to place, I don't know if there's a tension there or not. And so that's, that's, that's kind of really open-ended, but I don't know if I can throw it back to you if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> So I've been thinking about it since you brought it up because on one hand, installations seem to have this connotation to me, at least coming up through architecture school, that it's sort of this artsy fartsy thing where you just make something to make it and, and explore and sort of uh, a, an artistic connotation as opposed to more of an architectural connotation uh, to the extent that even an architectural connotation really even means anything. But yeah, I think to tie it to place... I, what that sort of makes me think of when you say that is maybe, yeah, it brings up a lot of what you brought up in terms of it's really tied to something. It's really, you can't easily remove it and then put it somewhere else. But I think it also kind of lends itself to inherently having some sort of foundation on which it's built beyond this sort of artistic thing. Though, of course, the artistic things probably also have some sort of connection to place. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's a little more of a purely creative endeavor I, there there was one that while you were saying that and this isn't totally related to what you were saying i don't think so i apologize but while you were saying that i was also thinking about this idea of place and how architectural installation it it's sort of the most ephemeral temporary version of architecture there is right, right. Uh, at least that's the idea right but if if it's going to be important that it is tied to place, and if it is, I would think I would argue it's more significant and meaningful, then is it possible that our digital tools would allow it to be more adaptive such that it can be an infrastructure that adapts to the place? Right. I think that's kind of especially essentially what we're talking about in terms of what we were thinking about last week uh, with these installations that sort of roll with or learn from the people who are there. Right. Right. So that would be completely different, probably, in terms of how someone studies in the engineering campus versus how someone studies in, I don't know, the dance campus or the music campus. So Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah I think, so I think that one of the biggest things that we, that we have to recognize is, like, do you place value in, in the idea of an installation tied to a place? I think that's one thing. Um, and then I'm right now trying to tie this into the other point that I wanted to make with this, but 
maybe maybe we'll get there. Maybe I'll just introduce that point now, which the that you can use these installations as a proving ground or it's a proof of concept basically. It's like the small scale proof of concept before you before you roll out the big thing and it allows you to test these different ideas or you know parameters that you're giving hierarchy to at, at a smaller scale. Um, and the analogy that I wanted to use with this was, I think along the lines of maybe how Uber grew. And so they, they tried, they tried their product in a market and you iterate and you iterate and you change within that market. And then once you know that your product's good, that, that is the point at which you feel comfortable to scale maybe. Right. Um, and which you introduce that product to a larger market. Now those, those sorts of tools like Uber are built on a basic functionality, um, like an infrastructural idea. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But then, I guess, is there an example that, or maybe even within Uber or one of these other companies that builds the same way, that it starts to respond to the environment in which it's being deployed in? Well, I think. More. Well, I, think... I like. I mean, even at the, like the case of an airport, they do. Like Uber acts different if you're at an airport. Right. And, I, and that's what I was going to say is I think just about all of these companies and you could, I think most of the tech companies kind of have deployed this way. Probably most of every company has deployed this way where you start locally and, and build name recognition right. and brand recognition and expand everywhere. The tech companies probably being the most prominent recently just because they're always in the news. But, you know, every every even architecture company starts that way, you know, big started in Denmark and came here right. and went all around the world, whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, they're all products of their environment in the way that like, maybe it's not the same way that it's place generated as much as it's like market generated with Uber, right? You start with this kind of one market that you're going after and then and then you expand to the airport market and then you expand into the delivery market. And maybe it's maybe it's more about the, the context of the business environment than necessarily the context of the actual place it's in, but I think it's an analogy that way, nonetheless. Well, I agree, but I think where architecture has had this hang-up, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is that architecture as a product doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, no, you're completely right, completely right. And I think, I think the big idea that kind of moving towards is that if you start with this thing that allows you to iterate with a more refined set of parameters, right? And allows you to really explore the idea, the idea of the installation. Right. And then you work on that and you get it to work. You get the infrastructure working and then you start deploying that at a larger scale. Does that allow for these sort of network effects uh, to take place versus just doing one-off projects, which pretty much every architecture firm in the history right. of the world has done. Right. Okay. So, so this is completely not something that I had thought of in my notes for this. But is you talking about this brought this to mind? But is like that sort of what WeWork is doing right now? Yeah. Right. They 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 started with their office space, their co-working space, and they've kind of exploded it to all over the world. And they're systematically learning over time how to deal with it, how to create the experience that brings more people in. It's so kind of like a smart office. And we've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're hitting on WeWork all the time now, which is kind of weird. Um, well, it's because I think they've introduced a very interesting model 
for how you can approach the design deployment of environments. Oh, yeah. Environments. Yeah, we're, they're fascinating. I think if, if and, and by no means take investment advice from me, but I'm kind of hoping they go public at some point so I can buy some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that should be a, a ringing endorsement to use yeah, your phone. It'll probably be worth too much by the time that happens. Uh, $20 billion right now, at least as of a few months ago when we did that one episode and we were doing research for it. Anyway, I, I really like this idea that you brought up that that this is sort of a proving ground at a small scale for a larger architecture or a larger system of architectures um, and, and learning from these small scale things. Because you're right that buildings are always more or less one-offs. I mean, now that Unless I'm... It's like a McDonald's right. or like a retail chain they've kind of got it figured out like they right. know the brand experience they want to create and that's just deployed and then modified slightly right to the location. right i mean uh, yeah I, i've had have first-hand experience of that at work working with banks um and I, and I guess to a certain extent even the um even the the architecture of the residential buildings that we do uh the apartment buildings are not 100 percent one-off because we do base a lot of the details and unit layouts out of what the client liked the previous project, right? So I guess it's not 100% fair to say that. Um, having just worked on an apartment building a couple of weeks back, we did a lot of polling from the Revit previous drawing set to say, like, what kind of floor types did we have? What kind of wall types did we have? How do we reuse those? How do we reuse the unit layouts? Because those were already approved by the client, yada, yada. Uh, and, and where do we learn from that, right? But I think by and large, it's mostly a one-off. There's not a whole lot of reusable stuff. Well, I mean, it's always been a one-off because of the idea. I mean, the idea that you grow up with in architecture school is that there's so many different parameters and things that influence a project that um, means that what you end up with is something unique. Yeah. Like each individual project has a unique set of influences that gives it its novelty. Yeah. And, and With that said, it's the idea of the installation or the pavilion and building an infrastructure system rather than building a one-off thing, like using the installation or the pavilion to develop that roadmap or that pattern language right? mm -hmm. or for what you do, and then using digital tools to, res to develop that adaptability right. so that the, the, the parameters that influence um, why something becomes unique, maybe sometimes those are often occurring and they sort of snowball right. over time and become different. And right. so that means that, they, that the place is, like, in a sense, always unique, always novel. Right. Well, it's sort of akin to taking, taking these floor types and wall types uh, and, and reinventing that sort of way of working with, with experiences, right? So instead of copying floor types and wall types over from project to project, you're also trying to modify experiences or copy those over from project to project. Uh, and obviously there will never be the 100% translation because you're right, there are all these factors and maybe the building is uh, 45 degrees off of the north axis as, you know, different ones. So the lighting conditions are different or the buildings surrounding it are different, but yeah, perhaps you it's can... It's coming from the same bones. It's coming from the same bones, and perhaps you can use digital technology to say, well, there's this 
it's off axis by a little bit. So in order to get the same amount of light, we have to modify it just a little bit or something. I don't know. Is, is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, I think I'm getting more like the, these things that you sent. So there's this one about conductive wall paint. Yeah. And this uh, the second story blog article. So we'll include both of these links. Uh, stepping in the future of collaborative workspaces where they've developed this three-story wall, like responsive wall panels that is yeah. located next to their stair. Um, I think that one's definitely worth talking about. I have some... Anyway, continue. And so I was, I was really thinking along those lines of, like, the wall type now includes the, the digital interface as, as part of it. Or maybe the wall... It's just a designed unit, and it's not, it's like a prefabricated thing, right? Rather than a built up material that you do in, in, in location, and rather the, the adaptability of it that you would have if you designed it in location, if you built it in location, rather comes from the digital embedment, hmm. I guess, that, that, it, that it receives. But I think I wanted to. Uh, we'll skip that idea. Okay. Uh, well, one one thing that I have I just thought was interesting is is all these firms. It seems like that do all these sort of interdisciplinary explorations. I feel like they don't do a whole lot of installations, right? Like Gensler, at least to my knowledge, doesn't do a whole lot of installations. SOM, not a whole lot of installations. And KT did that one cellophane house. That's pretty cool. Um, well, it, but again, I mean, that was funded by the MoMA. It's kind of a money sink, right? Right, it is kind of a money sink. Like, you have to be able to see how you can pull it forward to be something that gets deployed at a larger scale. Right, and that's kind of what I wanted to get at was like, it, on one hand, it's like this huge missed opportunity to start to explore these ideas, right? Um, to start to explore how architecture can kind of, or, or design in general, can sort of start to build on each other and, and, and look at these smaller, more intensive, rigorous situations that you can extrapolate to larger ones, but at the same time, and, and that could be extremely valuable to the future, but at the same time, it's hard to be valuable now. And like, uh, I guess that's just something I wanted to bring up and say like, how do you, can you make that both valuable now and in the future? Is that just something that maybe architecture just doesn't have the profit margins to support that, but it would be kind of it'd be kind of nice or kind of neat so, to be able to do that. I mean, what if we take it away from architecture? What if we say, I mean, obviously the the easiest example to go with this sort of technology right now, I think, is probably like retail or smart home technology. Yeah, or office space to a certain extent, maybe. And so, yeah, and so what you have to start doing is selling it, selling it directly to those clients as a as a product, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but but how do you how do you get the the money to actually get this started. Right. I don't know. Is it, yep. is it like a venture capital thing and you just have to seek out people that and just convince them that it's gonna, going to be valuable? I don't know. I, I wonder if that's, maybe that's part of the role of academia to say, hey, we're gonna go after grants and we're gonna do well, this definitely. stuff and, and then we're gonna prove that it's valuable so that architecture firms can actually make money off of it rather than architecture right. firms taking on that risk and then academic people just going off and doing silly design competitions all day, which, you know, useful sometimes. But are they always I mean, useful? I, I don't know. I definitely agree with that. And, like, the Media Lab is probably, and maybe some, like, Carnegie Mellon, and I'm sure there's others that right. 
that do stuff that are definitely getting to this. The problem is actually translating that um, into into business. And let's say you're at you're in academia, you develop this, and then you take those that knowledge and then build that into into some sort of company and start seeking that funding, venture funding. Like I I feel like that's probably I don't think that you get there through just skimming profits off the top of a regular architecture firm. No, I, I 100% agree. Uh, it would be very difficult. Arch- <laughs> you would probably need a lot higher or a lot more overhead to be able to support explorations like that that are actually worthwhile. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you have to be selling something other than drawn pieces of paper, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and there was one thing that I wanted to bring up with this second story blog that you sent a couple of days back. So that's the one with the responsive wall thing, and you yeah. you tag in your little RFID card, and and then those the wall starts responding to the people or yeah. the I, the collective groups or whatever. Yeah. It's it's a pretty cool idea, but if you scroll down to the bottom, there's about a forty second. Uh, video that I found absolutely fascinating for a really stupid reason. Um, and I'm going to play it. I don't know. Can you hear this? It's probably not going to work. No, I can't hear it. Okay. Well, anyway, what's what's the, what I found really, really interesting about that video, and this is probably going to turn into a bit of a rabbit hole, but was just the notion that I don't know, because you have this background music, like this ambient sound. Uh-huh. And I don't know if the wall produces that or if that's just for the video. That would be, yeah, it'd be great to be able to ask that. <laughs> ask because that question. I started because that got me thinking. I'm like, if if you watch a movie, there's pretty much music almost the whole time. Yeah. Right. And I was. Yeah, like, it's like stunning it's, when it's silent. Yeah, and I was just thinking like, our lives aren't like that. Like we don't have this ambient background music. Yeah. But how cool would it be if we did? <laughs> And I mean, this is this is definitely a bit of a rabbit hole. And but it, and it, that was something that definitely interested me in how you can develop an installation that's just totally about the soundscape of an environment. It was like follow um, you around and like play music as you move by, and like well, play different and, music I mean, maybe, when the next person moves by. Just constructed materials have these speakers or something. I don't know embedded into them, but. Um, and, and these sorts of installations have definitely been done before. There's no doubt. But I was just thinking about this as, as the experience of life. I mean, how much more epic could it be if you had music all the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so, so that brings me to a point. So I, I read that, and I admittedly did not read watch the video at the end. I almost never watch videos on these, art, these articles. I just don't like to deal with the noise that they provide um actually notably i did read the or i did watch the video for this disney researchers with the giant wall touchpad thing that was actually super cool um so i do read them sometimes if there's just not enough content outside of the outside of the pictures and the and the words but until you just brought up that ambient noise thing i kind of just saw the the collaborative workstations uh workspaces blog post is sort of something that wasn't super interesting to me just because it seemed like it was like what's the point it's just yeah, a really cool feature wall right and and that'll be that's kind of like one of those like instagrammable moments where it just kind of gets old fast unless you're visiting there for the first time and then it's like super cool 
or maybe it's like super cool every once in a while, but most of the time it just kind of fades into the background. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a good thing that most of the time it fades into the bath background. It just it doesn't strike me as super useful. And and your ambient noise thing kind of maybe if it does produce noise, maybe it's a little more useful than I would have otherwise had thought. But where I was going with this was I wanted to push this maybe into talking a little bit about where is that what how why is it that these installations are always so I don't know they seem so kind of artistic but not super functional and like is that do they have to be that way or is it well here's I have a thought on this actually now that you bring it up and I think we're definitely going to get into disciplines now yeah Um, that's kind of where I was leading so my thought on this is because if if you go to this blog and look at this thing like the wall looks pretty bad Mm -hmm. to be honest it doesn't it doesn't look very nice. If it had like the music that the video had, I might buy it. I agree. But the wall itself, it looks pretty poorly designed. Yeah, it's, it's a wood uh, it's wall. It's just like there's like screens. a hole in one spot. There's like some crappy reclaimed wood and these awkwardly sized monitors, I guess, <laughs> that is kind of embedded into it. And they just look right. strange. Right. Um, and that got me thinking about the, the idea of the discipline. And so this is this is a non-tech company that so, so, probably wanted this thing and probably maybe even designed it themselves. It is and, a tech company, and kind put of. it in here. Um, and so I don't know if they had like designers on staff that did this or if this was something that was done as part of the architectural design. But it kind of looks like crap. Yeah. Uh, and and that got me thinking about if of how these companies merge back and forth. Cause they make a comment. I think this group makes a comment somewhere about them having architects on staff or something. I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting as we start talking about disciplines, but why does this look so bad? Yeah. Like, why does it just look like crap? And it, to me, it's kind of, it's kind of one of these things where you have a tech company that's trying to do design or one of these things where you have an architect that tries to do something that is more technology oriented and i don't while i don't have a problem with that merging i think that you still need people on both sides of the fence in order to do something that's really good and i think this is an example of something that's kind of good but could be a whole lot better oh yeah 100 percent, 100 percent agreed like and so yeah yeah like do do architects sort of know some of the problems that are associated with offices that something like this might solve? Uh, and, and I bring that criticism up knowing that I don't have an answer to that, uh, probably mainly because I haven't, I wasn't close to this project. But I'm wondering, like, you know, we, we come up with all these uh, discussions all the time and usually, a um, few outlier discussions aside, come up with ideas on the fly that are, like, worth talking about and, and exploring further and I think, like, do we say that if you have a strong architectural presence and a strong digital design presence where you're constantly collaborating, do those ideas sort of come out of the woodwork um, a little more organically? I, w- I think I would ag- agree. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, we, we all have our expertise in putting the right people at the table, not necessarily more people, but the right people at the table. I think those conversations start becoming a lot more rich mm-hmm. uh, so while the tech people may do a great job of exploring opportunities for 
the way people interact with digital environments, and they do. Um, you know, the architect's role has typically been the the one that provides the aesthetics, and and here I think the aesthetics are la- are lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that you necessarily have to exclude the architect from the experience of space or the uh, the functionality of that space as well. And I think the architect would have just as much to say about the functionality of this as a, a wall of you know, human experience as, as the, the person in technology would, just from a different perspective. But it just seemed like there was a weird, it just seemed like there wasn't a good conversation happening for this Right, this right. project it, happened. I mean, who knows? But it sort of it sort of seems like a missed opportunity, and I, I hate to keep bashing on this, right? But it could, because it's it's not like it's it's alone in that, right? And there's so many different projects that are that way, where it's just like this could have been a little better had there been but, a lot more at stake or a lot more put onto it. Right, and this was probably just a gimmick. That's probably all it was ever supposed to be. It was right. just really just a gimmick. Well, the idea of the feature wall, the quote-unquote feature wall that you see all over the place. Yeah. Architecturally. And so this is just a gimmick. It's about branding. It's about marketing or whatever. And it's not It's not ingrained. It's not integrated. It's not It's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so is there a way necessary, to... Then you can actually bring people to the table and design it properly, I guess. Right. But... Well, yeah. And then that goes back to this idea of, of using installations for something bigger is, like, do you start to say, okay, this isn't necessary as it is right now. How do we push that into something that, where it is yeah. beyond the gimmick and more about actual function as well as a branded element? So no, that's, that's a fantastic point. So it's like the installation needs to be necessary. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. It's not tertiary. Right. Or at least installations like this, hopefully, are are necessary. Well, if if we want to move forward, you you have to do something that is necessary to move forward. I guess right. Like just doing something to do something. Like if the idea of the installation is you just do it to do work, great. I guess. But if you're doing it to push the conversation forward, it's a necessary step in order to move forward. It's it's this piece of the iteration. Right. And not just metaphorically, like it really often is, but it's actually an, a piece along the step moving towards something, and there's a roadmap for it, then I think that's a lot more right. value. And that might be something, maybe this is a future class down the road too, but it's like, how do we, how can we change that perspective of the installation? Because I think a lot of times an installation really, really is sort of this, we're going to do work just to do work, right? We're going to do work because we don't have architectural scale work. So we're going to do an installation just so that, um, we're going to do an installation just so that we can have something in our portfolio for later. Right, I wrote that down because that's and and you're gonna hear my typing on that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit that out. <laughs> that that was a really good idea. That's a really really solid point. Right, because like it's just like how if we're missing these opportunities at at all of these scales, right, where people are just saying I'm gonna do work to do work, and that's fine sometimes. That's that's totally fine sometimes, but we can't do that all the time. So like, how do you yeah. how do you how do you reframe this conversation around installation so that so that it's something that is a piece of something else as opposed to just an expression of the moment. Um, yeah. I think we kind of got into that uh, a little bit when we talked about fictions and Jimenez lie, not to bring him up and continue to bash him. Because... <laughs> the notion of pulling forward. Yeah. The notion yeah. Of, of, of 
coming up with something. Yeah, that will hopefully produce something else. Like you, you have in. you have to give people the idea before it can ever happen. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes into this idea of like uh, the ego of the designer, and and I have this great idea that I think is going to be super cool, and I'm just going to make it, and and not really thinking about it beyond that. I don't know I'm if that's thinking about how it can be almost democratized. Yeah. It seems like, but... Yeah, and I don't know if that's something to do with the education system. Or if that's just sort of the culture of, of well, design no, it as does, it is now. I think it kind of does because there's, what is there, like one publication, the Journal of Architectural Education that comes out twice a year, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what you get in terms of peer-reviewed. Yeah, unless content. you go to like these super topical journals about lighting yeah, or but, whatever. I mean, if the... And the idea of like the individual thesis, like this this piece, this pedestal that you put this thing on, it's yours and you did it, versus like what research actually should be, which is this constantly building on one another's work versus always trying to be unique. I think it might be an architectural, I think there might be like a pedagogical problem or whatever. Right. Where... Well, we're sort of set up to think that you have to be unique and you have to, you can't build on what's come before. I mean, we even have a hard time doing renovations in the U S we don't like, we just rather tear down and do something new. Right. Right. Well, and, and how often have you heard or even said, I've said this before. Oh, that's been done before. Right. Like everyone says that all the time. And it's like, yeah, everything, and then obviously the the follow up to that as well. Everything's been done before, but uh, it's okay for it to be done before, if you're doing it towards a good cause. If it's if it's one of those, oh, it's been done before, and it just because it looks the same, then maybe it's not so useful. But uh, but that's yeah, but that's always so superficial. It's like that's been done before, and I've seen that form of building before. Yeah, and right? every, every form of building, more or less, has been done before. Right. And I think that's I think that's part of the problem, is that the the value that we have for architectural research is is whether or not it's new form. Yeah. Okay. So how do we solve this then? Right. That's that's obviously that's the obvious next question. How do you how do you push beyond? <laughs> how do you push beyond just bashing bashing the problem? Because obviously we've kind of established that there's a problem here. So something's been done before, right? Like this certain type of experience place has been done before but each time it's been done there's been a different hierarchy placed on the values that influenced it coming about right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if you start talking about installations embedded with digital technologies and maybe those allow you to kind of parameterize uh the design so that you can work through different modes of value hierarchy Mm -hmm. um so at one point, like this type of place has been experienced by X number of individuals on average, whatever, versus like this is more novel or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think like building it so that it can be more iterative, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So does this also, does that, you know, you're looking at that idea of, of um, parameterization and, and how that plays into how that plays into how we understand something is that is that sort of your opportunity to bring in other disciplines and say well definitely we have to we have to look at this from beyond architecture because to a certain extent we've kind of explored architecture 
right? We've kind of explored the forms, the geometries, everything has been done before. And if everything's been done before, then do we have to push into something else to be well, not I, done I, before? I definitely agree. So like before you may have, I, 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 I totally, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Because before you may have an architecture that responds to something this way and it's mundane it's like parking or whatever yep. and so you had a parking consultant right versus if we look at groups like sapient razorfish uh that it seemed to be or second story whichever i'm supposed to be referring to here but whichever one of those it is that are looking at things in a with a different perspective it's even an it's a completely new field it's a completely new discipline anyway yeah and so if we engage them so it's going to be different yeah yeah, I mean, what I have a hard time with is you. we kind of have to label these things, right? So Second Story, it seems like, has labeled themselves as like responsive environment designers or something like that, um, yeah. as opposed to architecture, as opposed to branding or technology. Uh, or when we were recently at work on this project for a bar, um, we were working with a team that kind of did a lot of branding and experience design. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it just it seemed odd to me that the way it was structured is there was such a kind of separation between what we did and what they, what they did. And that, um, to a certain extent, they were in charge of the project and we reported to them and they reported to the client for us. But the thing about like branding and user experience design is I, I feel like there's so much gray area now compared to what architecture is and what that is. And part of that I think is because at least what we've been talking about in my mind, I think has kind of bled, in, bled over into like, where does architecture stop? If we are moving beyond the aesthetics and the form making, like where does architecture stop? And it kind of bleeds into branding. It kind of bleeds into experience design and, and vice versa. Branding and experience design sort of bleed into architecture. I think, I think you don't really have to make that definition. I think, I think you can avoid defining yourself that way if you have all those players on on your team right right? so if you are like we work and you're like this is what we're going to do we're going to do offices right they don't care whether you are in a cubicle or you're sitting at the lounge drinking a coffee or whatever they're designing all of it yeah right so they have all of the players at the table and so where one starts and one stops doesn't matter because they're all on the same team and they're all producing for the same thing versus you work for a client and you are sort of on this horizontal hierarchy with everyone else. Yeah. And maybe to, even not horizontal. Hierarchy. Right. And to a certain extent, we look the so, way we look at installations in school and, and sort of these small scale projects. It's like architecture is not the only one that does that. The engineering school does that. The branding yeah. school does projects like this, but it's just so segmented off because they're the, the school of engineering, the school of architecture, the school of liberal right. arts and sciences. And, and everyone's, yeah. Everyone's segmented off, but to a certain extent, that doesn't really matter anymore what the disciplines are. You're kind of just going towards, you're shifting from like, oh, I'm doing my discipline to, oh, I'm achieving the larger goal of designing this office or designing this whatever mm-hmm. quote unquote brand is. Right. I, I agree completely with that again. And the same thing with practice as with school, like everyone's defensive because it's money related. Yeah. And like in practice, if, if you are on the same hierarchy as the architect and you're the experienced designer, you're going to want to get as much scope as you can so you get as much money. 
it's kind of stupid. <laughs> well, I, I think the reason you, we say that is because we're looking at it and we're looking at like, well, the goal is to design the office, right? The goal is not to build architecture and build branding and then put them next to each other. The goal yeah. is to design the office. So like, why do we have that separation of disciplines where it is if instead we rotate it 90 degrees and there it is, right? If that makes sense. Um, yeah. So tying that back to installations, it's like, how do we kind of, if we're going to do this, and this is where it makes most sense to kind of exist as a practice, how do you reframe that in terms of thinking about, in terms of thinking about installation work and making that actually happen at a, like, how can we kind of foster this thinking at such a, at a mean, low level? Like, yeah, at a maybe beginning level? I'm in academia right now, right? So maybe what we do is, you engage at least one other school in doing what you're going to do. Yeah. Good luck um, with that, but that'd be great. <laughs> well, right. I guess and the Siebel Center. One. And so you have that value. You're like, okay, I'm engaging the media school. And so this is going to be about the experience of media and the different ways in which you can do that. Um, and then, but you don't just do that. You're not just like, okay, we're going to make a thing. Like right. you, you set up, you set up the larger goal and like what sets us on the path to that goal Right. Not just making a thing, but what's what's the what's the first step that we need in order to get to that point? And you'd almost have to like rethink the entirety of the architecture education to an extent because there's so much pressure put onto the studio experience that like, how do you have an architecture student work with a media student when we have studio and they don't have studio, right? Studio takes up, it's what, six hours, but it really is essentially more than half your time. Um, yeah. And it's hard for an interdisciplinary seminar or elective to compete with that because it just doesn't have that much gravity. But it's potentially, arguably, more useful to the future. Yeah, and one of the things, maybe maybe we should end it soon, I think. Yeah. We're probably getting fairly long. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll edit out some of it, but yeah. That I was thinking about as I think they're restructuring the, um, the curriculum a bit here. Is, is the idea that you sort of modularize the courses so that they integrate a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you have a lower level, um, a lower counting studio class. Uh -huh. It counts for less. Uh -huh. But what you do is, you, previously your studio was six hours and your structures courses was three. How about you make both four, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. And then you, you split the semester into four chunks. You do a structures plus design course. You do a systems plus design course or a project. You do yeah. a structures plus design project, a systems plus design project, an experience plus design project, a branding plus design project, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you, so, so they're modular and they're interchangeable. And so you're not doing a structures project and a studio project. You're doing one project that is putting a design project with a higher hierarchy into structures. Yeah. And I think a very similar model could be applied to this idea of installation. Yeah. No, I think that's... We're talking about structuring a curriculum. Right. No, that's really interesting. And as someone who enjoyed the studio experience in school, it's like hard to not think about that and push back and say, but studio is important. But it's really not to a certain extent. Like combining it is really what's important and learning from how yeah. the design works out is what's really important relationships 
the problem is that studio existed on itself as design and all these other courses were considered functionality but if you bring them in and actually integrate it then it's much more you get much more value out of both. right it's all design right it's, yeah. it's not one or the other it's all design um, the other thing that i was thinking when you said that was like it's it's a studio plus engineering it's studio plus systems it's studio plus branding yeah it's I mean, like how it's it's almost like studio is like this platform for doing other things right or the space is sort of the platform for building off of other other disciplines to build off of it's like this it's kind of the natural framework in which we exist right and it's kind of obviously that but it's we don't really think about it as that well the school isn't structured that way in any at all right Instead of thinking about it as a framework for life to exist, we think about it as something that we can shape and form to some aesthetic, aesthetic that we're trying to produce, right? I wonder if that's sort of the wrong way of looking at it in general. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, that seems like well, a decent stopping point. We covered some ground today. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, best, thanks for best on everything in the process. <laughs> and hopefully it came up with some decent solutions in the end. Uh, yeah, I think I think the idea of of uh, modularity for a common goal—it's sort of the I, ID. No, what's the IPD? 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 Yeah, the idea of IPD, except bigger. Yeah, it's not just about construction. And yeah, management. it's not just about contractors, I guess. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Well, good well, chat. Cool. Yeah, uh, it was th- a good one. We'll be back in your ears next week with another stimulating conversation from. Oh. <laughs> Futures last. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> that was good. Uh, all right. Well, please rate us on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, and stay tuned. Thanks. Oh, shit. Why is this not?